a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. My name is Tracy Brinkman, and uh, I was lucky enough to serve in the, the United States Army, and uh, I served you know, six years. I did the whole six years, and I don't want to make it sound like a prison sentence, obviously, <laughs> uh, but I, was, I, I served my entire time over uh, in Germany. User group uh, down in southern Bavaria in Schweinfurt at the Warner Barracks, which is uh, sadly no longer there. They've closed that, that particular base up since uh, since I've left. But uh, what was really kind of cool about it is uh, my father uh, was a 23-year veteran. He just he spent you know from 18 years old. I actually believe he went in at 17, uh, all the way up to my teen years uh, when he did 23 years. And we had just been in stationed in Germany, uh, probably about 60 miles away. I believe it was in uh, Hamburg. And uh, so when I signed up for the service, I right. I mean, I was right at my senior year of high school. Uh, I, they said, uh, you can t- choose one thing, your MOS or your first duty station. And I said, well, I don't care where my duty station is as long as you send me to Germany. They said, okay, you get to pick two things, <laughs> your MOS and your first duty station. Because back then, and this back then for me would have been in the 80s, nobody was wanting to go over to Germany. Everyone wanted to go to, you know, San Diego, Hawaii, you know, all those great locales. And I'm, here I was signing up to go to Germany. And so they let me pick both. And uh, I ended up being stationed, probably, like I said, about 60 miles away from where I had just been. So I had a pretty good lay of the land. Uh, I grew up, uh, you know, it, like I said, my dad being in the service, uh, you know, we spent two tours over there. So I was there in my uh, grade school years, and then I was there in my early high school years. And uh, my family heritage is German, so I could speak the language, you know, good enough to get around. You know, I wasn't very fluent, but definitely, you know, I, I didn't come off as super American until I went back there and I had the, uh, the cliche military haircut. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast. I enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, so what years did you? You serve and where were you where were you where were you living when you joined the military before going to uh, I was living in I was living in Southern California so this would have been uh, 1980 when I actually signed the paperwork and I did the deferred uh, entry program I'm not sure if they still have that here yeah. uh, now but uh, back then you know you could sign your paperwork and then leave at a later date and I signed up in July August time frame and uh, deferred until the March uh, which was, I was very thankful for that. Uh, but I lived in uh, just uh, probably about 16 miles north of Disneyland, for anyone that doesn't know Southern California. Um, and uh, so went from there. And then 
Oh, I'm sorry. What was the second question? So just years, already. years of service. So you signed up in '80 yeah. and served until '86, '87. Eighty. Yeah, it would have been '81 through '87. What's going on in Germany at this time uh, while you're there? You serving? know, it was while I was over there. There was still some of the. Of course, the wall hadn't come down yet. Uh, and when I say the wall, I mean the Berlin Wall. So there was still some of the. Uh, um, some of the after effects of the Cold War, because you know the '80s when Reagan was around, it was uh, the early, uh, the early years of that of him trying to do those negotiations. So there was a lot of that tension. I think one of the things that sticks in my mind about that environment back then was they, uh, you know, we went to classes uh, to say, you know what, uh, if you get this alarm and you know, you know the air, the air raid sirens. Um, the, these are for the missiles that would have been launched in uh, in Russia. And from where we were stationed in southern Germany, it was like a three-minute response time. So literally, by the time there was, you, know, you heard the air raid sirens, if they actually would have been uh, missile launches, it would have been just enough time to lean over, kiss the one you love goodbye, and you know go from there, if it had ever gotten to that. I, and I think the only really other thing that was kind of not mission impossible, but very um, made you aware of things around you. Was we are uh, we had the CID, which is for those uh, great unwashed, is the criminal investigative division of the of the military. Uh, they were doing undercover operations uh, both on and off the base, and more more specifically, other than just obvious the things like you know drugs and what have you, uh, they were trying to keep an eye on potential security leaks. For uh, you know, obviously military information's deployment, you know sizes, what have you, uh, but also for uh, you know other countries coming over and tapping our uh, soldiers and their families to uh, to lean them towards their side and gather more intel uh, discreetly. So it was there was a bit of that had, that had happened, and uh, that one certainly reminded you that you know while it's not as not like it is on television, certainly is a real piece of uh, of the life. What what influence do you think your father had? I guess first on your decision to serve in the military, but but ultimately really on on I would I would say the kind of soldier you you chose to be. You know, I I would say not just my father, but my grandfather both um had a very uh impactful uh decision they were very impactful in that decision and it's not the decision that they said you should do this or we want you to do this um it was just the way they carried themselves the men they were to me uh my grandfather uh, was actually in the german side of the military on and he was actually on the opposing side during world war ii and uh, defected over to the United States uh, because he was a victim of some um, experimentation. And I don't want to say Nazis or SS, but certainly there were some German groups in the military that were doing experimentation. And and what they did to my grandfather was um, they cut out the roof of his mouth. Um, And unless you knew him when he spoke English... Um, you couldn't really understand him. It was very difficult to understand him. Uh, but he could speak German just fine. Um, so when he came over to the states, you know, they they helped him out with you know a, a place to let you know getting getting settled in and getting him a, a plate that he could wear in the roof of his mouth so he could speak English and be more understandable. The latter years of his life, and I, I say probably the last 
15, 20 years of his life. I never remember him once wearing that plate. Uh, you just got to learn his uh, his speech patterns, and he spoke a lot of German, so that helped me growing up as a kid learn the language. And so when I, you know, when my dad and I got stationed over there, and eventually when I got stationed over there, it, it made for that. So that that bravery and and the stories he would tell, and he wouldn't always tell the horror stories. I mean, he had a lot of great stories about Germany and even being in the military pro. Uh, you know, prior to the, all the bad stuff we get to read about in our history books. Um, and then, uh, again, my father, you know, uh, he being in the, the Korean War and then the Vietnam War. Um, and I grew up in the military lifestyle, and that structure was uh, was phenomenal. Uh, even though we lived off base, you know, obviously we lived in communities that were, were, that were very uh, military-friendly, uh, a lot of mil- other military families around us. Uh, so you you understood each other and you understood what was going on. And, uh, you know, you knew that I might not see you in two years because you may get redeployed to somewhere else. You know, so you learn to build friendships fast um, and uh, and just be who you are. Uh, not everyone could do that, but certainly that was the lesson my father and my grandfather both taught me. They were just who they were. And, and for them, it was, you know, honor your word. If you're going to say it, go do it. And if you find out what you said that you can't do, well, then say that. Well, don't, don't you know, skirt around on the edges. Just be who you are. And uh, that was very impactful. So when I, I was, uh, you know, nearing the tail end of high school and, you know, being in Southern California with my dad got on the military, I had these freedoms that I was not used to and I was probably making – some poor choices along the way <laughs> and uh, uh, it was uh, it was a moment of clarity it was like okay if I get in the military and I get back over into Germany I'm totally away from any negative influences that I've gained in the past couple of years being here in in Southern California and I could actually be myself um, and so when I got over there I was I was just me and uh, you didn't know anything about Tracy before and you know you just got to be me and and, and build that that soldier life off of just being me if that makes sense yeah did you ever did you ever experience any um, maybe um, any stigmas from the uh, pe- when people would learn that your grandfather served in the German army you know, um, usually I didn't share that uh, initially. I would share that later on. You know, so uh, if someone, you know, if I came to know, like, and trust someone, uh, you can hear the, you can hear the marketing part of me come out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not it's not something you shared right away, especially not in the eighties when right. you know, there was still some of that tension going on. But certainly, when you're in a uh, an inner circle of folks, obviously. Early on, we were, you know, I was frequenting, you know, places like VFWs and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, American Legions. Sharing it with those type of folks, they got it. Uh, close friends, they would get it. The rest, yeah, my my grandfather was in the military too, and, you know, until I knew enough, knew you well enough, uh, I wasn't sharing the rest of that story. So, so yeah, I guess you could say I, I kind of purposefully avoided the stigma until I knew there was no risk in it. So you've talked about this a little bit, but but first from your grandfather, what do you think you learned that that influenced the type of soldier you were? I think from my grandfather, it was um, two things. One, you 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 begin to understand that there are uh, multiple personality types, 
right? Because he would tell stories of, hey, there are, there are good officers and there are bad officers, just like there are good, um, you know, lower-ranking NCO mm-hmm. soldiers and non-NCO, you know, the enlisted men. Yeah. Uh, so it don't don't judge people by their rank, uh, judge them by their actions. Uh, and then you know that's you know kind of pivoted right off of the things that my father would say about just be who you are and honor your word. By the action, so you could hear the the same stories coming from different angles. Uh, my grandfather would you know, would really tell stories more so than just give lessons. Uh, he would tell you these stories, and then you know he would ask you, "So what do you think?" Uh, and then try to hear back from you what you gleaned out of that, and you know he'd just give that either knowing nod or, "Okay, yeah, you could learn that too." You know, kind of <laughs> kind of uh, lesson out of it. And and then I guess really the same question, what do you think you got from your father um, that influenced the kind of soldier I, I, I think, you were? You know, I, I think beyond the you know, be yourself thing, uh, my father was a huge networker when it came to the military. So he taught me the importance of relationships, right? Because obviously if you're in the military, it's a team thing. Um, you, obviously, you have your role to play, but there are um, your roles impacting a lot of folks around you, um, folks you may not even see ever. You may never even see that person. My, my father was uh, the, the mess sergeant for, uh, for, for his entire military career for the most part. You know, So he uh, lived a life of service inside his life of service, uh, but he was quite happy to do it. Get up there every day, cook for people, coordinate things, you know, plan big events, you know, and just have a grand time doing it. And he knew everybody as a result of that because, you know, Pretty much at one point or another, whether whatever base you're on, you're going to come on into the mess hall and have a meal. And uh, you know, my dad was uh, was that glad-handing, uh, social butterfly kind of guy that would walk right on up to you, slap you on the shoulder, and says, "What do you think of them? They're taters," you know, kind of thing. And you and he 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 knew how to leverage that too, without making it seem like. You know, uh, you and I have known each other forever, so I kind of need a favor. Uh, he was just that guy that was always able to help. So when he needed help, people were lining up to come do that. And that was all a result of, again, coming back to those two lessons. One, you know, be who you are and honor your word. And then, you know, network. You know, because if you're standing alone in in the military and it's just you and your buddy, uh, I'm not sure if they're still doing buddy systems. When you know, when I was in the military, they did in the, you know in uh, starting a boot camp. You you had a buddy yeah, that yeah, was your your battle buddy. You yeah, your battle yeah. buddy, right? So if you're just you and him, well, that's that's good, right? You got someone watching your six during those times. But what about? You know, the rest of the platoon or the rest of the, you know, the brigade or the rest of the base, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of people that can help you uh, make your journey so, so much fun. Yeah. I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts.
Did uh, did you notice? Did your father struggle at all as a result of his service in both Korea and Vietnam? Um, I, I I was too young to remember his return from Korea, and uh, and, and but when he came back from Vietnam, I uh, he op- outwardly uh, struggled. No, but uh, right. there was one <laughs> event, uh, and my my dad just just. A quick backpedal. Uh, my father was the cliche six foot three mountain of a man uh, sergeant. That when someone says, "Oh, your dad's a military sergeant," and they get that picture of their head, that was my dad, right? He just he was so cliche when it came to the military sergeant uh, persona. Uh, I think the only difference might be is it, 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 for a lot of folks that don't uh, have direct experience with the military, is he was a jolly fellow. Had just this heart of gold, but he was this big bear of a man. So when you look at him, you're like, yeah, he's a sergeant in the army. I get it. <laughs> um, so, so when I say outwardly, it was there was that manliness, right? Oh, nah, that was nothing, man. That was a piece of cake. Um, but there was one event, and I remember this pretty just to this day. Uh, I was kind of, he had been back from Nam. Probably it was under a month. I want to say two weeks, but it may have been, you know, it was under a month. And he was kicking back in his uh, in his lazy boy watching some television. And I was coming out of my bedroom uh, and I had a plastic bag from a sandwich. And what does a kid do with a plastic bag (laughs) from his sandwich? Right. You know, so I'm like (laughs) and I'm and I'm twisting it. And just about the time I walked past him in the in the chair, I popped it. And we all know that sound, that pop, that real loud, immediate sound. He came up, and I don't know how he does it. It's the same way a cat jumps, you know, from dead sleep to six feet in the air. He came up out of that chair, put his arm around my neck, and pulled me down behind that chair, yelling incoming at the same time. And that's when I realized, oh, that's what it was like. You know, just, you know there was something that was like, okay, I get it. At my at my child level, right? I was probably uh, just under ten at the time, so it was like, ah, okay. Um, it it bothered him subconsciously, but on the outwards, he didn't he didn't carry it. So, what did that? How did that influence you? I think the way it influenced me was it made me realize that there were there were stories my father hadn't told me yet, and um, over the years he you know he did share some um, as they went on, and uh, it made me as a child way more interested in history, uh, both military and, and and otherwise, because you know there's the stories that you read in the in the books in school, and there's the stories that you can read in the books that are not in school. School, and back then it would have been in the libraries. Nowadays, you know, they're they're everywhere on the internet. You actually have to be cautious of what stories you're reading on the internet. But uh, you know, asking more questions of both my father and my grandfather, and of course, you know, all of our friends. My, like I said, my dad, my dad being the networker, frequently have uh, you know other folks over. So I was that curious kid, always asking the questions. Hey, were you here? Were you there? And what was it like? And what was this? And what was that? And and you hear that a lot of times they were willing to share. A portion of the story and then it would come to the point where it's like okay you're too i'll use the cliche you're too young to understand this or they just didn't want to share the rest for personal reasons if that makes sense did it did it cause oh go ahead 
No, I was just saying, so it it made me hungry for history, obviously, uh, and made me curious about, you know, things that people have gone through and, and whether there was, whether they were sharing it openly, how it impacted them, you know, so, you know, how it impacted my dad one way, how it impacted, uh, you know, one of his friends another way. And then there are the wives, you know, who they get impacted entirely differently. So they have other stories and sometimes they share a, a, a another level of the story that perhaps their husband doesn't share, but they're, they're comfortable allowing folks to know as well. Mm-hmm. I know. And the reason I ask is I have children and, and my children were young when I started in Iraq. And, and I remember, you know, in my vision of when I came home, everything was fine. Uh, recently mm-hmm. talked to my sons um, about it and they said, dad, you were just mad all the time, but we didn't know why. Yeah. And yeah. so as a child, did you, and maybe not mad all the time, especially the way you described your dad, but did you have enough information, I guess, as a child to say something's not right or, or I hope dad's okay? You know, I think, I think in hindsight, um, you know, my dad used a lot of his jolliness as a shield, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he would uh, laugh a lot of things away and joke a lot of things away. Um, as I got older and, uh, uh, there was one point I was probably in my late teens. It was before I joined the military. Um, I said something, and, and I don't remember what it was I said, and it's probably even irrelevant. But his response uh, was on point. I said something I know is negative about the military, and uh, he looked over at me, and you know he gave me that look as only a father can do, right? Uh, that look, he says, "When you've served, then you can judge." Okay, and and I got it. I understood his message. I, he didn't say my opinion was right, wrong, left, indifferent. He didn't say it was, you know, you're stupid for thinking that. He just told me, when you've served, then you can judge. And uh, what was really cool is uh, right after I got out of AIT, one of the things I did is I made sure I, I flew home in my Class A's. And I went to the uh, watering hole my dad used to hang out at on Friday nights. And uh, I walked in there in my in my Class A's, and I walked up behind him put my arm around his shoulder and the first thing I said to him says now I'm serving can I judge <laughs> and he just <laughs> laughed and he slapped me upside the head so yeah I think again like I was saying to answer your question in hindsight uh, being older and being able to reflect on it he used a lot of his joviality to disguise some of his pain um, and you know obviously I've had conversations with my mom that kind of helps air that out in some of the stories he's told me afterwards, you know, after I was in the military and he felt more uh, able to share with me, uh, you know, there's, you know, he tells the story about, you know, he was, uh, a bullet literally grazed his head, uh, the back of his head. Uh, he had a scar and he wouldn't explain it to me as a kid, but, you know, later on he told me that story. I said, well, that's what that scar is. He goes, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what he got his purple heart for. And I was, you know, and it didn't even hit me when he was telling me the story, but I was probably sitting on base after I went back uh, to Germany. Uh, and I was sitting there thinking about it one time as I was reading through some other files of some other soldiers that were sitting on my desk. And uh, uh, one was, you know, had a, a gunshot wound across his head and, uh, you know, got his purple heart and yada, yada. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, what, my dad almost died. 
you know, at, at that, that one thing he was playing off. So like, oh, you know, we were just driving down the road, you know, and all of a sudden we heard sniper fire and shoo, I felt this hot thing on the back of my head and I pulled back and my hands all bloody. And, you know, it, that was almost exactly how he would tell the story. Just a matter of fact, like, you know, I was I was at the grocery store and I picked up a box of cereal. Right. No, no, dude, you, someone <laughs> was shooting at you. Right. And you almost died kind of kind of thing and uh, you're like oh, wow if i if i had to realize that back then would i have joined the service I, I, you know honestly, i say i can't say yes or no because you know you never know yeah. but uh, certainly uh you know it opens your eyes a little bit yeah what is uh what's something that you think that you took from your military service that you still use today um well for, i think the first thing is the early riser uh thing i get so much done in the wee hours of the morning uh, my wife and I both were early risers we're up about 3 30 in the morning and uh, you know we're up have some breakfast have a cup of coffee get a workout in before you know we start our day before most people are even you know going to bed even <laughs> in some cases but I think that that's a big thing is uh, the wee hours of the morning getting so much done you know getting to uh, sitting down at my desk and banging out some things you know some of that you know just annoying things I, I just if i can get this done in the next hour or so the rest of my day is free for the big things that are going to happen uh that, that's been a big lesson and then uh, for me i'm a big structure guy uh, i like spontaneity but i, I like spot this is going to sound funny planned spontaneity mm -hmm. right yeah so if i can if i can look at my week and say okay here are the meetings i got and here are the things i got to do uh, i'm going to do this then this here and you know kind of kind of plunk things around in their spots and that leaves me these open spots well those open spots are whatever happens on during that time happens that's the uh, kind of the planned spontaneity right um th those are a couple of big things and i still come away with the uh uh, the networking piece of it, uh, you know, people are different and people can help you in so many different ways that you have to learn how to connect with them. Uh, and, and, and of course, as I've gotten older, I've learned a, a lot of the, the tricks of the trade, right? You start learning uh, by the way they speak, some of the key words they use, whether they're more visual or auditory or kinetic, and you start, you know, uh, communicating with them or engaging at that same, engaging, you know, talking to them the way they would like you to talk to them, yeah. right? Or communicating with them in that manner. Someone might prefer video, like you were saying earlier, some folks don't want the video. They prefer just to get online, you know, just uh, a, a call kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, other folks are like, man, I could talk to you so much easier if I could see your face uh, type of thing. So whatever it is, right? Uh, just being flexible to those modes of communication. Would you want um, your children to serve in the military? Um, I absolutely would. Uh, I, uh, right now I only have girls <laughs> and, and I say that cause I'm at pretty much, you know, uh, 50 and a half. So I'm probably not going to have any more kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he said, he says knocking on wood. Right. Um, but yeah, I think even, even my ladies would, uh, you know, benefit from, uh, a, a tour of duty in the military, even just going through basic training in AIT and understanding, wow, the, the, the real value of teamwork, of 
of giving 150% of realizing your limits are probably a little further than you think they are, uh, you know, because we all know if, uh, if you've been through uh, any kind of boot camp, whether it's military or not, uh, they say do 20 push-ups and then they say do 20 more and your your arms are shaking and your you know, your back is shaking, your whole body is just, you know, uh, like that. And then you, f- you find out where your limit really, really mm-hmm. is. And usually it's 10, 20 times further than you initially thought it was. So it it teaches you a lot about yourself and about uh, interacting with those around you. And and what advice would you give them when they came to you and said, said, I'm joining the uh, I'm joining the military? Uh, Probably two pieces. One, um, pick pick uh, an arm of the military that suits suits you. Right. So I think every arm of the military is probably good for somebody uh, or good for everybody at some level. But um, if I'm looking at someone who's more of a happy go lucky person, I don't think the Marines might not be a a good uh, a good point. And that's not to say Marines can't be happy go lucky. It's just that you've got to be that go getter hard kind of person right there's 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 something at the core um of a personality and and this is just me speaking right yeah uh, of the core of the personality of someone that goes into the marines uh and i could be i could be you know i could be 110 percent wrong i i've known many a marine in my day and uh, i can't stereotype them i but i just there's something about that particular uh, branch of the service it's like saying hey not ever, everyone should be uh, special forces yeah i don't think so right not everyone is cut out for spec ops no matter no matter how hard of a hard charger you are so uh, i would step back and say what you know do what how do you think you would fit in with these guys versus those guys versus those guys, you know. So if you're on, uh, if you're in the Navy, uh, there's odds are you're going to be out on a ship for months at a time. Are you are, are you a solitary? Can you be a solitary person in that sense of being disconnected from you know everyone except for your ship, even though it's a small city in itself? So those those little nuances you have to consider. Um, and I think the other piece of advice is, what job do you want to do inside there? Um, and you probably pick the first one first. It's like, hey, I want to fly helicopters. Okay, cool. You hear, you're, here's your options inside fly helicopters. Or if you wanted to pick something, you know, I want to get into uh, navigation or I want to get into me- mechanics, wh- you know, whatever um, core, you know, MOS you wanted to target, there may be something extra special in one division or, or, or another that, that, that resonates with you as a person. And I would want them to to gravitate towards that. That way, as they go into it, they have something to look forward to through all those tough times they're going to face in the first few months of, of uh, you know, uh, basic training in AIT when uh, they're being broken down and rebuilt. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at Loudmouth Jason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps grow our audience. I'm Jason Comstock and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged.
We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.